We want to continue our series today on the fun of living generously. I know that as there's been a focus this month, I've been able to experience some of that fun myself. If I can just for a moment just talk a little bit about uh, what our financial picture looked like as we were missionaries. Uh, of course, as we served for seven years over, overseas, there was always this, this weight that seemed of finances. Are we going to have enough for the next season? Or do we have enough supporters? Do we have to go back and raise more money? That, that was just kind of an ongoing uh, stress that was just a part of your everyday. And it just kind of seemed to move on into the next day, into the next day, into the next day. And, and over time, I, la- I learned to step back and just allow God to be a part of my faith and, and say, okay, God, I'm going to release these finances to you and I'm going to allow you just to bring, bring blessing. And, and, and I'm telling you, seven, eight years later, it's incredible what God had, has done over those years, that there's just been this, uh, not only this faithfulness of God to provide, but he's put us in a position where we are able to be extremely generous in certain areas. And we're just so thankful that God showed his faithfulness to us. As we served and we gave what we could, we saw God begin to create increase. And so as we're going through this fun of living generously, it really does impact me, and it really means something to me as I sit and I listen to the messages, and I listen to that partnership of the churches coming together to be able to, to, uh, to, to, to give beyond what we think we have. I'm able to sit back with great joy in my heart saying, God, you have blessed and you have provided, and you've put me in a place where I can give. And I'm just so thankful for what God is doing in my own life, and I know that he's faithful. And so as we've gone through this fun of living generously, we, uh, we've experienced God's goodness already this month. We've just experienced God's faithfulness, and we've asked people to be able to tell us, hey, if you're in or you're part of this series, you're marking it up, you're letting us know that you're in and you're going to follow along with some of the teachings that we're going to go through today, we've been able to experience God's blessing. So we want you to know that we are praying over those names. And we're doing the generosity series as a part of our ongoing disciplines of our faith. The living generously, the fun of that, is part of a discipline that we have as being a Christian. If we go back to January, you can see that we've kind of built some series together, not intentionally, but rather just as God had laid them on our heart so that we could teach about some of the things, some of the disciplines of our faith, and then begin to walk out some of those disciplines. We saw it in January when we specifically talked about reading God's Word, and we had that month of reading the Word together, reading the Bible and the online program that we had, and and the Facebook page that we created, the devotional page so that everybody that had access to it could be a part of it. And we had those cards that we handed out so you had something to pray for every day of the week so that o- over that time as we were reading God's Word together, we could participate in what God was doing. And so January, we did the online devotional, the online reading. In February and March, we tried to walk out our faith with some of those prayer efforts, the 40 days of prayer, March, February and into March. And we had, again, the devotional page set up so that there were prayers being posted. And we would come together and we'd pray through the week here at the church. And we ended up having some noon hour prayer meetings here in in the church, in the sanctuary. 
And we were teaching on prayer and we we're teaching on how God wants us to pray, but then we actively walked that out, not just the reading of the Bible, but then the prayer. And then we went into a series in March and April that talked about um, the, the, the whole thing about inviting people to come to church and, and making your relationship with God very personal. We called it, It's Personal. And so we expressed God's faithfulness by showing the personal things of our relationship with God, and then we kind of walked that out by inviting people to come to our Easter presentation. We saw the relationship that we have with God. We saw how personal it was. And then we began to invite people to be a part of that personal relationship. And we celebrated that with our Easter celebration and the resurrection of Jesus Christ and kind of the the whole core of our, our faith and our foundation celebrated it that weekend. And we continued that on with our fifth Sunday just a couple weeks ago where we experienced the baptisms and the baby dedications, and we had uh, communion together, and all those things that wrapped up as our family, as being part of our community. The simple things were walking out the faith, to being a part of the prayer and praying together, to part of reading the Bible and reading it together, the part of making our relationship with God very personal, and then inviting in people into that personal relationship with us, and then celebrating it with baptisms and all kinds of things. And so we're walking out the faith. And then here we are with the fun of living generously and finding ways that we can walk that out in our faith. Not just understanding the teaching of what God says about tithing and about giving and about our finances, but also the learning aspect, yes, but also the walking out of it and participating in the things that God says he will do as we begin to give in to his kingdom. And so we come to the series of living generously. The purpose of the series is is not to raise finances for the church. It's not to pay down the debt necessarily. It's not for any of those fundraising ideas, but it's actually to begin to understand the connection between God's blessing and generosity and our willingness to release the funds to him to do whatever he so desires to do. There's a tremendous joy in living generously. and We want to be able to develop the habit of giving to God so that we can participate in that generosity. And I want to encourage you not to miss out. I want to encourage you to be a part of it. I want you to test God. He says to test me. Test me on this. I want you to participate with it so that you can be a part of that experience and a part of that joy. We've had different tools provided for you. We've got the Facebook page, and you can go onto the devotional page, and you can read some of the teachings that Pastor Patty is putting up there. We also want to talk about how we can do this together, how we can do it individually. We have some resources as well that you can get at the back. Some of them are at the back at our resource zone. Some of them you can download online. These are three good resources right here that you're able to use. How to Be Rich by Andy Stanley. We've had about uh, 10 copies of those already come and go. We got some more on back order. They're coming. That's an excellent book to talk about God's finances. We also have uh, some downloads that you can do. We're having trouble getting those other two books, but those Those downloads are there and they're available for you. You can get the information from us later and then we'll be able to um, get you some of those books. But we don't want you to miss out about what God is doing. And so we've kind of made a commitment as a church that we are going to take 25% 
of our general fund in the month of May, and we are going to set that aside and give it away. And we're going to give it away this way. Corporately, this is what we are doing. The gifts and the offering that you, you gave today and the stuff you do online and all of those areas where you give, we are going to take 25% of that and we are going to give it away. 10% of it we're going to give to tithe. We're going to give that to the district. The district helps to support churches. It helps to support uh, new plants and new churches. It helps to bring counsel and support to pastors and all kinds of things. And we believe in the district. We're a part of that fellowship. We want to support it. And so we're going to tithe 10% corporately, as a church, we're going to do that together. And then we're going to take 5% and we're going to put that to outreach and missions. We already have designated money that you give and that's going to go there. This is going to be over and above that. We're going to take 5% of our general fund this month and we are going to give it to an outreach, uh, um, a ministry outreach from the church or into our missions project to help support our global workers. An extra 5%, we're going to put that in. And then we're going to take Another 5%, we're going to put that towards the debt. Everybody has debt, we're just going to pay it off. The church has some debt too, we're going to do the same thing, an extra 5%. We're going to do that corporately. And then our last 5%, we want you to set it aside for yourself, just to do something fun for yourself. And so we're going to do a discipline together as a church, we're going to set those aside. And the fun thing that we're going to do with that 5% is we're going to give it away to one of three different ministries in Montreal. We've picked three that we're going to talk about a little bit later in the service. We're going to pray about it, and next week we're going to vote. So whoever is here next week is going to be able to vote on what ministry we're going to give that last 5% to. We have three picked out. We're going to have introduce them to you in a few minutes, and then I'm going to have you pray for them over the week. Next week you're going to come back. We're going to vote. We're going to tell you how much we were able to raise from our general fund, and then we're going to be able to give that away to one of the three ministries that we've decided. So we have done this corporately. This is what we want to do together. You've had a pink sheet given out. Hopefully you still have it. You'll be able to see that. But not only do we want to do this corporately, but we're encouraging you as we go through this series of living generously, we're encouraging you to also participate in this as an individual, that you would test God in your finances, that you would test him in the things that he says that he will do as we give to him. He's going to honor that, bless it, and multiply it. And so we want you to be able to take that 10%, and we want you to tie that. We want you to find 5% in your budget, and we want you to be able to, to give that to a ministry or to an outreach. It doesn't have to be something through evangel but something that you believe in or a cause that you have or maybe the Red Cross or the Salvation Army or something that, that is close to your heart, we want you to take 5% and we want you to give it there. And then we want you to take 5% individually in your own situation and put it towards debt and pay off some debt that you might have. And then that last 5%, we want you to keep that for yourself to do something special with. Maybe go out for the evening or you know, overnight somewhere, or a little bit of a trip or something. But we want you individually to experience the goodness, the blessing, and the generosity of God as an individual as you participate in this series in the same way that the church is participating in it in the larger scale. So there's, there, there's, there's connection there. There's community there as we do this together. So we want you, you to be able to do that. And I know that there's some that just don't have the finances to be able to do this the same. Pray about the percentages. If you already give 10%, pray about giving a little more. If you've not tithed before, then pray about something to start, just so that you can begin to test the waters and see that God is good in all of this giving. We want everybody to be able to participate. And some may not have the finances, and you think, I just don't have anything to give. I don't want to discredit that. I want to honor that in you, but I want to also encourage you and challenge you that there is a blessing in it. 
And we want you to find a way that you could participate even in the smallest way to say, God, I want to be a part of this living generously. I want to find how I can tap in to that spirit of generosity that you so desire us to have, and not just us to have it, but because he has it, he could express his generosity through us. And so over the last couple of weeks, we've learned a couple of things. We've learned one, the first Sunday that we preached it, first Sunday in May, pastor preached that we are rich, that we have more than we think we have. So let's read the scripture that we've been basing this series on in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 17 and 19. Teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud and not to trust in their money, which is so unreliable. Their trust should be in God, who richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. Tell them to use their money to do good. They should be rich in good works and generous to those in need, always being ready to share with others. By doing this, they will be storing up their treasures as a good foundation for the future so that they may experience true life. One of the biggest lies that we are told is that we are poor. If we have clothing and food and a place to live, we are rich in this world. And so this scripture applies to us. It applies to us when it says, teach those who are rich in this world, that's you and me. Teach those who are rich in this world, teach them to do good. With their money, teach them to do good works, to be generous, always being ready to share with others so that they may experience true life. This is for us. According to God's word, we're rich because we have a place to eat. We have food. We have a place to sleep. Now, I know that some may not, and there are some challenges there in your finances, but we want you to be a part of this without guilt or shame. We just want you to experience and know the generosity of God. That was our first week. Last week, we heard that tithing is a heart issue. Three times John the Baptist is asked, what should we do to be right with God? And three times he answered, his answer had to do with money and possession. When those came to him and said, what do I need to do to be right with God? John the Baptist immediately talked about money and possession. For those that asked, that had lots, John the Baptist said that you need to share it. You have lots, you have extra, begin to share it. For those tax collectors and those that were taking more money than they should have, John the Baptist said, if you want to be right with God, then don't take extra. Just take what you are allowed or what is owed you. And for others who were extorting money because of their power and their authority, John the Baptist spoke to them about not extorting people, but just being content with what you have. So on three different occasions, as people said, what must I do to be right with God? John the Baptist replied, with those things that concern money and possessions. Because money reflects a heart issue. Randy Alcorn in The Treasure Principle said this, and we learned this last week, it's of such high priority to God that John the Baptist couldn't talk about spirituality without talking about how to handle money and possessions. Those are the two things we've learned so far. 
We've learned that we're rich, and we've learned that tithing is an issue of the heart. It's a heart issue. And some people have said, hey, that's an Old Testament principle. Jesus even dealt with it. And he said to the religious leaders, he said, you tithe, but that's the floor, not the ceiling. You need to tithe. You also need to, to, to be good and be generous and give food away and give, give other things away over and above. Do both. Do all of that and do your tithes. And so it's not just an Old Testament principle, but it's a New Testament principle. So we've learned that we're rich and we've learned that tithing is a hard issue. And today I want to talk a little bit about the multiplication of God. The multiplication of the offering of what we give to God. And we want to take a quick look at the story of the feeding of the 5,000. We're going to look at the scripture from Matthew. And the story as it's written in Matthew. But there's many stories in the Bible that speak about God's generosity and God's multiplication. And I encourage you to find these stories and read about them. Like the story with the oil, the widow with the oil and the flour and how it never ran out. And when there was nothing left and she began to give to God first as she would feed the prophet, God multiplied what she had and there was always enough. You remember the story how the prophet said, go home and, and, and make a, 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 a bread cake for me and, and feed me and, and then there'll be enough for you and your son. And the widow says, well, I'm collecting food now or I'm collecting wood now to build a fire so we have our last meal and then we'll die. The prophet says, we'll give to God first, and he'll increase that. And that went on for days and days and weeks and for a long time as the oil and the flour never ran out. We know about the story about the coin in the fish's mouth as it's told in the Bible. How citizens were to pay taxes. And the question is, should we pay taxes? Are we citizens? Are we not? Should we pay taxes? And Jesus said, you know what? Let's, for the sake of offense, let's not offend everybody. Let's just pay our taxes. And so go down to the river and fish, and the first fish you catch, look in his mouth, and there'll be a coin in there, and go and pay my taxes and your taxes as well, as well and then there's no offense. Okay, that's awesome fishing story right there, right? If that's the way it was, we'd all be fishermen, right? Woo, I'm going fishing this afternoon. Woo, going to catch me a coin this big, Right? Those are the stories of God's multiplication, of, of God's generosity. And the story of the 5,000 needs to be highlighted in our Bibles. We need to hear and read and understand the truths of this story. It's so important to God, this story, it's so important to God that other than the crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus, the feeding of the 5,000 is the only other story told in all four Gospels. It was important enough that it showed up in the four cornerstones of our faith. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all record the story of the feeding of the 5,000. It's important. Oftentimes, as a pastor... You get asked questions that you can't answer about the Bible, right? They figure you have all the answers because, well, you're the pastor, right? And so when you show up for a dinner or something, it's always the pastor that has to pray, hey, Rob, will you pray? Yes, okay, sure. I always ask the pastor. Well, the tough questions come our way as well. 
And oftentimes over the years I've been asked questions about, well, what if and what happened and when did the dinosaurs and all this kind of stuff and how, how many days was created? Was it a literal seven days or was it a spiritual? All these things, you know, figurative. I don't have, quest- I don't have answers to all those questions. I'm not that smart. And there's all kinds of things that people come at. And you know what? Over the years, I've come up with this reply. Not that I don't want to find out or study or learn more, but I've come up with this reply. That if God wanted me to know more about those things, he'd have written more about those things. And when you look at some of the stories of the Bible, you look at creation, creating, throwing stars in the sky and separating earth from land and creating the seas and all the fish that are in it and the birds and the animals and then creating mankind and breathing into him. That story is told in the Bible, but it only takes up three chapters. It takes up three chapters for probably some of the most incredible things that God did in the history of this earth. Three chapters to tell that story. But he spent books and books and books on the covenants with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And he talked about the blessings of God and the covenants of God to the people of Israel and the blessings. And so if something shows up in the Bible, it's important. You know that if it's in the Bible, it's important to adhere to. It's important to listen and participate in if it's in the Bible. If it shows up twice in the Bible, maybe we better stand up and take notice. Saying, wow, this is the second time that God has put this in here. And when it happens four times, and it happens four times in the Gospels, we have to believe that God is trying to tell us something about his generosity. He's trying to tell us something about his multiplication factor. He's trying to tell us something about the offering of giving a little that it could be multiplied into so much more than natural elements would allow. I have to believe that the story of the 5,000, because it's repeated time and time again, that God's generosity is important to his people. And he wants us to know that story. And he wants us to understand his generosity. So Jesus had spent, coming up to this story, Jesus had spent several days teaching in the synagogues and debating with Pharisees and being challenged by religious leaders. And so for several days, he is, his time is consumed in, in defense and sharing and teaching. And every time he moves to another city, something challenges him. Somebody in the public comes against him. Some religious leader accuses him of something and then he goes into these teaching situations and then there are threats on his life and there are challenges against him and, and he's, he's accused of, of feeding, picking the grain and feeding his disciples on the Sabbath and then he's accused of healing somebody on the Sabbath and, and he's constantly going back and he's teaching about his kingdom and how the spirit of the law is far greater than the letter of the law and it's constant against him and every time he moved somewhere, a crowd would gather around him and he'd have compassion on them and he'd begin to heal their sick and he'd begin to teach to them to the point where the crowds on some days were so large that he would step into a boat and have to step back out into the water so that he could project his voice and be heard by the masses that would come. And again, Jesus would try and retreat off into a place of quietness and a crowd would come and he would share some more and he'd invest some more and he'd pour out some more. And then word comes to him that his cousin John the Baptist has been beheaded. And that's where we find this story. His cousin's been killed, and he's tired of this, this constant journey that he's had over the last few days. And now he's saddened by this news of his cousin. 
and he wants to retreat to a quiet place. He wants just some rest. The disciples have been along this journey. They've been more observers of the life of Christ than they have been participants. They're the 12 disciples that are experiencing this journey with Jesus, and they're listening, and they're hearing the teachers, and the quiet moments, they're coming to him, and they're asking questions, and they're asking the details of his kingdom, and they've been mostly observers And just recently coming up to this story, Jesus begins to move them from observers into participants, from just understanding and learning and hearing and teaching into actual action that presents new challenges for them. In Matthew 9, 37, Jesus explains that the workers are few, so ask the Lord of the harvest for workers And so there's a bit of a shift from the disciples coming from observers of Jesus to actual possibly being a worker for Jesus. And then just the next chapter in Matthew 10, Jesus called the 12 disciples together and gave them authority to cast out evil spirits and to heal every kind of disease and illness. So they've gone from observers now into empowered believers and disciples who are now going to be expected to walk out their faith with action not just participants and observers and hearers of Jesus, but actual doers of some of those things that he's been doing. And as Jesus retreats, the disciples with him, the crowd follows. And knowing what he knows about the religious community and about the hopelessness that lies within the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, yet One more time, as he sees this crowd, rather than retreating for rest, he steps forward and he begins to serve the crowd. He begins to heal the sick. He has compassion on them. And so this is where we find ourselves in the story of Matthew with the scripture. Let's read it together. As soon as Jesus heard the news, he left in a boat to a remote area. Then that's the news of John the Baptist. He left in a boat to a remote area to be alone, but the crowds heard where he was headed and followed on foot from many towns. Jesus saw the huge crowd as he stepped from the boat, and he had compassion on them, and he healed their sick. That evening, the disciples, uh, sorry, that evening, the disciples came to him and said, this is a remote place, and it's already getting late. Send the crowds away so they can go to the villages and buy food for themselves, the disciples said. But Jesus said, that isn't necessary. You feed them. Can you imagine that? All of a sudden, Jesus taking them from an observer now to somebody who needs some action. You feed them. But we have only five loaves of bread and two fish, they answered. Bring them here, he said. Then he told the people to sit down on the grass. Jesus took the five loaves and two fish, looked up toward heaven and blessed them. Then, breaking the loaves into pieces, he gave the bread to his disciples who distributed it to the people. They all ate as much as they wanted. And afterward, the disciples picked up 12 baskets of leftovers. About 5,000 men were fed that day in addition to all the women and children. What an incredible story of God's multiplication and God's generosity. 5,000 men, not including women and children. 
There's probably seven or 8,000 people there that day. And after a long day of talking and preaching or teaching and discipleship and healing and all that kind of stuff, the disciples then recognize that, hey, people are getting hungry. It's probably because the disciples were hungry. If I'm hungry, they're hungry. And so everybody's hungry. So what are we going to do? There isn't anything around that can solve this problem. There's all of the woulda, coulda, shoulda situations. How are we going to feed these people? How are we going to be able to, to care for them? I mean, the obvious thing, Jesus could have easily just dropped manna from heaven. It's been done in the past. These people know the stories. He could have just dropped manna and fed everybody. It was done. He could have had uh, carts of food come up over the hills and just begin to distribute it to the five or 8,000 people that were there. He could have just spoke the word and put food into the belly of every person there because he's God and he created the universe and the stars and, and, he, and he did all of that. And he could have literally just with all dietary restrictions considered, he could have put food into everybody's belly and that's it. They're done, they're fed, they're happy, and they can move on. But Jesus didn't do that. He took this opportunity as an example and as an opportunity to create faith in the disciples so that they could see the walking out of Jesus' generosity to his people. Even though they've witnessed the healings and the teachings, now there's this generosity that is coming. He could have done all kinds of things, but he chose to teach the disciples this. And so Jesus says, don't send them away, you feed them. Where shall we buy food for these people to eat? Philip asked in in John's record of this account, where are we going to buy food? It would take eight months' wages to feed them. And when when Philip suggests that we send them away, Jesus specifically says, it's not necessary, you feed them. You find a way, you feed them. What would you do? How would you take care of this situation? And here comes that part where they're, they're moving from the observer of who Jesus is into that labor and that action. There's action required. There's no easy solution to this problem. There are no vendors to buy food. There's no nearby village that is equipped to feed six or 7,000 people. And there's no money. Nobody has eight-month wages in their pocket. So, Jesus, so, so, so then I ask the question, why does Jesus ask the question, in the book of John, recorded, Jesus says, where shall we buy food for these people to eat? That's when I get, he's God. And he's saying, he's asking the question, where should we buy food? Do you think that he kind of threw up his hands on his head and after he's been ministering, the disciples go, hey, Jesus, they have no food. And he goes, where are we going to get food? How are we going to help these people? You see, when Jesus asks a question, this is what I love. He doesn't ask a question because he doesn't have the answer. He asks these kinds of questions to us because he needs us to get a revelation. He needs us to stop and think with him what the solution might be. How can we provide and fill the need that is here? Jesus already knew the answer. He, he knew a few things. 
And there's a deeper meaning and a deeper purpose that he wants us to grab a hold of. And here in this story, he knows that it's not necessary to send them away, but that there's a solution in the midst. Verse chapter 16, he says, you feed them. And here's what Jesus knew. Jesus knew that he had to help the disciples recognize their inability to solve the problem themselves. And then they had, to be, they had to step in and work with Jesus to find the solution. They were required to look at options. They had to find what resources were available, and they had to give them to Jesus. They took what they could find, they scoured the crowd, they looked at the options, and then they brought it to Jesus, and they said, this is all we have, and we're going to give it to you. This is also what Jesus knew. Jesus knew that there would be an offering, that a boy's small lunch was enough faith to feed and to meet the need that was there, that the offering was part of the miracle. He used a young boy's small offering as part of the miracle of multiplication to feed beyond what they had in their hands. God multiplied it when it was given. And the boy got lunch too, which was all he had in the first place. He had given everything that he had, not knowing if he was going to eat. When the disciples came to him, they said, hey, we're going to take this and we're going to feed everybody with this. The boy wouldn't have understood that. All he knew was that there was a need and he gave everything that he had. He says, here, take my lunch. And out of that offering, that lunch multiplied and it fed everybody. Can you imagine how that little boy felt when he watched his food, his little bit of an offering being multiplied to feed 8,000 people on a hillside, broken up into small groups and food more than you could imagine would come from that hand that Jesus, uh, that Jesus blessed and began to break and multiply it for everybody. Can you imagine that boy's face, the joy, the fun that he was having that day? Because he gave generously. The fun that he experienced. Can you imagine all the people pointing it at him going, hey, it was his lunch, it was his fish. Those two little fish and those cakes of bread, it was his. Can you imagine how he was beaming, experiencing the fun of living generously? Jesus also knew this. He knew that it was a test for Philip. I love that when he asked the question, he already knew what he was going to do. He was testing Philip because he knew what he was going to do, John 6.6. 6. It was part of the learning curve, coming from the fear of not having enough to that deep satisfaction and joy of living generously. We want to be a part of somebody's miracle this week. We have three ministries that we want to be able to, to pray about and one ministry that we're going to vote on and be able to bless next week to be a part of that fun of living generously. And I want to highlight them just quickly before we close. Our three projects are simply this. We want you to give that offering, that small 5% from our, our monthly general budget. We want you to pray about giving it to one. Uh, it would be uh, Red Frogs. Red Frogs is a university outreach, a sober presence, and an alcohol-fueled environment there is a chapter of Red Frogs at McGill. It's a, an organization that was started and founded 
in uh, Australia, and I had a chance to sit with the founder of this ministry a few years ago when I worked with him at a couple different events just to experience what Red Frogs was doing. And he started this ministry many, many years ago as he was at uh, what they would call spring break in Australia. And as there was just all kinds of stuff happening, his heart went out to the young people that were just destroying their lives, and he wanted to be able to reach them and share them with the love of Jesus. And every door at the hotels that he would knock on, every party he would go to, he would say, hey, I just want to talk to you about some decisions you're making. And they'd close the door, and they'd laugh on him, and they'd kick him out. And he was sitting in a corner store, and he's praying, and saying, God, how do I get in? How do I talk to these people? And there's a candy in Australia called Red Frog. It's just a little bit of a, 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 a candy. We don't have them here. They, they, they're trying to import them. But it's just a simple candy. And so he grabbed these. Everybody in Australia knows this candy. And he grabbed them and he went to the door. And he says, hey, you guys want some red frogs? Yeah, come on in. And he'd come in and begin to share the story of God. And be, it, was, it was an opportunity. That's grown into an international ministry that is now has a chapter at McGill University helping people. And so that's one of our options that we want you to pray about. The other option that we have is On Rock, and some of you know of On Rock Ministries. It is a food bank that gives food to those that are in need. It is one of the front runners for the flood victims in Montreal right now, and they're giving out food. We want to help to replenish some of their, their resources so that they can continue to serve and minister in Montreal. And so On Rock is one of our uh, options. It serves the people living in Montreal, impacting hundreds of lives in a positive way. The third area, the third ministry that we want to consider giving to is called Don Ladaru. Father Emmett John started this in 1988. People of Montreal know him as Pops. He has work and ministry that are to the homeless and at-risk youth. When I talked to people this week about it, most people that I spoke to knew of this, this man and knew of this ministry. It helps the at-risk youth. And so these are the three ministries that we want you to pray about this week. We want you to go home and pray about it. Next week, we want you to come back. Whoever's here is going to have the privilege of voting, and we're going to celebrate as we, as we choose one that we can serve and that we can bless and that we can live generously with and pour into. And so we want you to come next week and be a part of this decision. And so just as we close today, I want to read the scripture from Timothy one more time. And then we're going to hold out our hands and we're going to pray and we're going to ask God to give us some direction with our own finances and with our finances as a church and also with the opportunity to give into one of these ministries. And so let's read this scripture. Teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud and not to trust in their money, which is so unreliable. Their trust should be in God, who richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. Tell them to use their money to do good. Father, we're so grateful and thankful for the opportunity that you give us to serve, to worship, to actively be involved in decisions and blessings. And Father, we just hold out our hands today and we ask that you be the center of our finances that we would learn to live with generosity as you did, as, as you taught us, that we would learn to live the principles of reading our Bible and the action steps of prayer, but also the faithful action steps of offering and tithes and giving. So, Father, help us to know where to give, who we can help, and who we can support. We thank you for your goodness to us. We thank you for your blessings.
Help us to honor you and worship you in our giving. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Will you stand and we'll just sing this chorus together, folks, and then we'll dismiss.